Christmas is coming upon us. So we'll begin this new series this week, Heaven and Nature Sing, a Christmas series. And, and this will take us all the way through Christmas. And, and what we're going to be looking at is the Christmas story through the songs that are sung in the Gospels. And it, you, you, some people may be going, well, I'm not really sure about the songs in the Gospels. Well, there are actually songs that are sung before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. And these songs were written, you know, showing the songwriter's heart for the Messiah, for that hope that we could have inside the world today. And hopefully it'll warm your heart and it'll stir your soul. But most importantly, it'll make you want to worship. It'll make you want to worship the reason for the season. You know, and it's, and it's interesting that Christmas, Christmas music is timeless. It, it goes across all different genres of music. No matter what kind of music you listen to, you're going to find Christmas music. And, you know, I remember when I was growing up, you know, I had to listen to Elvis Presley. I had to listen to Elvis Presley because that's what mom listened to. And it was that album, Elvis Sings the Wonderful World of Christmas or In Christmas. And I remember listening to it going, really? Really? Now, I'm sorry, Miss Betsy, because I know you're an Elvis. <laughs> I know you love Elvis. But growing up, I was like, really? Do we have to listen to this every year? And then, of course, as I got a little older, you know, I started listening to, you know, I had to have the Jackson 5, the Jackson 5 Christmas album, you know, Michael Jackson singing. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus, you know. And it was that classic. Well, then I got a little older, got into high school, and it was the Carpenters. Some of y'all see I'm telling my age here. Some people are out there going, who in the world are the Carpenters? <laughs> but the Carpenters. And then no one could ever forget, and if you're with me, you can never forget John Denver and the Muppets singing Christmas songs. And it was, a, it was a favorite. And I remember when my, you know, our kids were small and, and you still went ahead and you had the Muppets and John Denver, even though it was old because it was the Muppets, you played it for the kids and, and they were all happy about it. And, and I just find it interesting that every one of us could probably remember our favorite Christmas album or our favorite Christmas song. And even going back, you know, you, you look at all the different movies and all the different shows, but there's always this one song or there's one album that we know it's Christmas. You know, it's interesting for me and my son, we got a running joke on Christmas. It is not Christmas until we hear Bruce Springsteen sing Santa Claus Coming to Town. And he totally ruins the song, but it's not Christmas until we hear it. And then even the worst part, getting away from songs, we actually every year have to watch a Christmas story together. And it's not Christmas until we watch the movie. And even though we don't live together, we will actually text each other and you know, it's on for 24 hours. We'll say, hey, at 10 o'clock, I'm watching it. And we'll both sit down in front of the TV. He'll be in Coconut Creek. I'll be in Boynton and we'll watch it. And then we'll be on the phone talking to each other, basically going line for line. You know, you're going to shoot your eye out and, um, you know, even singing, you know, Merry Christmas to each other. But, you know, there's different things that lead us into Christmas. And music is one that tends to lead everybody into Christmas. Christmas music is very popular no matter where you're at for a believer or a non-believer. You know, and, and humans, you know, they write songs, they 
compose poetry or music, and they even draw art all about Christmas. And I think it's because art expresses what's actually in our hearts. And even in the hearts of those who aren't Christ followers, there's still something about Christmas and there's something about what it's about. And I think we use, you know, music and poetry and art to celebrate Christmas, this Christmas season. Um, And even for those who won't admit that Christmas is about Jesus, I think everyone knows that Christmas is a time for worship. And it's a time for worshiping something. And understand that during Christmas, everybody will worship something or someone during Christmas. Everyone's going to worship something or someone during Christmas. You know, it may be your worship, maybe when you get to go to the mall and, you know, last year with COVID, you couldn't go to the mall. And this year you could go out on Black Friday and go shopping and get all them deals. And how many people went out shopping on Black Friday? Nobody. Praise God, either did I. All right, I don't feel so bad. But some people, it's about going to the malls. Or, I mentioned earlier, my my shrine, Amazon. How many people shopped on Amazon for Christmas already? That's it? Okay, how many people have not shopped for Christmas at all? Wow. My wife's even back there going, me? I told her that when Amazon arrives on Monday and Tuesday, just put the, the boxes under the tree. They're already wrapped. It makes it easy for me. I don't have to wrap nothing. <laughs> but that, you know, that, so, so people are going to worship that. Some people, you know, are going to worship all the food. You know, all them good cookies and all the candy and all the different food during Christmas that we have. You know, people are going to worship that. Some people are just going to worship family visits. And, you know, make it the biggest and most important part of Christmas. But ultimately, it's not. You know, some of us are each, you know, may try and avoid the holidays because of the loss of a loved one or or because of, you know, we just don't want to go through it alone. And if that's you feeling you don't want to go through from the loss of a loved one, make sure you're here next Saturday for Grief Share. All right, just that little plug, make sure you're here. You know, some of us are going to try and drown out Christmas through alcohol, or prescription drugs, or maybe something else. But my suggestion for Christmas is to admit that ultimately Christmas is not a season about shopping. It's not about food. It's not about family and fun, although all of them are good things, especially the food and the family. They're good things, but ultimately, Christmas is a season of worship. It's a season of worship, and I think once we acknowledge that, we can be intentional about worshiping for Christmas and have intentionality about what Christmas is for. You know, and and one way that we look at Christmas and one way that we worship is through music. And I want you to understand that the original worship and the original Christmas songs were actually written over 2,000 years ago. They're written over 2,000 years ago, and they're actually inside our Bible. And that's what we're going to study over the next four weeks. And today we're going to be looking at Mary's song. It's commonly known as the Magnificat, and it's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. And I will let you know an interesting side note on this. Johann Bach actually put this scripture to music in 1723, and it was regularly sung during church services on Christmas, Easter, and on Pentecost. 
So if this, what well, the scripture we're going to read today is actually a song that has been put to music. And still some churches today still sing this song. So um, one of the things I want us to look at today as we're going through it is how we can intentionally worship Jesus through this Christmas season. Also, you know, how can we be more purposeful on making Christmas season about giving glory to God? Giving the glory to God instead of ourselves. And ultimately, because our aim should be to make Christ big and it should be to make ourselves smaller. That's what we should be aiming at during Christmas time. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew. And as always, it will be on the screen. And with that being said, let's go ahead and read. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. Because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arms. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remember his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, Lord, we ask that you just open up our eyes and open our hearts that we may receive what it is you have for us. And Lord, may you be glorified through it all. Let's make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so Mary's expression of soul, I think, is beautifully recorded for us here. And these words, we, you can't help but see ourselves as Mary saw herself, unworthy of God's mercies unworthy of God's mercies. You know, it's interesting, the English Standard Version, uh, of right above this uh, set of scripture, it actually says, Mary's song of praise, the Magnificent. And, and while these words are merely a description and they're not inspired, they're actually not in the original text, I think they actually capture this passage very well in exactly what it is. You see, the name Magnificent comes from verse 46 where Mary actually says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And in here, it's a verb, it's this praise of adoration. And so you think about it, what's the purpose of a magnifying glass? Make it bigger. To make it bigger, a magnifying glass. So, you know, some of us have magnifying glasses on already, you know, because we got glasses but, you know, I know some people that'll have on glasses and then they switch them to reading glasses and then they still pick up a magnifying glass to look because they still can't see. And you're like, why don't you just get different glasses, you know, a little thicker. But we pick up a magnifying glass to make things look bigger. And this one even has an extra magnifying on it. So when I really can't see, I can really dig into it. But... You know, we're, we're talking, it's about magnifying, it's about making Jesus bigger. And, and it's exactly what we use a magnifying glass for. And even the word magnify comes from the Latin word magnus, which means bigger or great or large. 
And this is what we should do with Jesus. We should focus on Jesus and make him bigger and make ourselves smaller. But too many times we just use this magnifying glass to like set things on fire as a kid. You know, we, we don't use it for what it should be used for. And that's to magnify and make something bigger and make ourselves less. And it's exactly what we see in Mary's song. She is magnifying Jesus. She is making Jesus big, which is exactly what he should be. You know, I, I think one of the, you know, when we worship Christ, basically we're putting his magnifying glass on him. Because as we worship him, we are magnifying him and making him bigger than our problems, bigger than our situations, bigger than anything that's going on in our life. And when we can ultimately take Jesus and make him bigger, our problems seem a whole lot easier. They seem a whole lot littler and a whole lot less because of where we put our focus as long as we focus on him. And I think that's one of the ways that you become more spiritually mature is when you stop focusing on yourself or your own needs or your own wants, and you really start focusing on Jesus or you start focusing on others because it shows you're more spiritually mature instead of just focusing on yourself. Because we are called to magnify Christ. And hopefully we will do that. We will magnify him and we'll show others just how great he is with the things that he's done in our life. You know, and it's exactly what Mary's doing in this song of praise. She is magnifying him. And it's interesting because just prior to this, Elizabeth actually praises Mary. She actually praises Mary for carrying the Lord. You know, you're carrying the Messiah, you're carrying the Lord, and kind of tries to lift Mary up on this plateau. But you see Mary immediately puts herself back down and magnifies God. Magnifies God because it is about him, not about her. And, you know, I think a good visualization is, you know, we're getting ready for, you know, Thanksgiving. We had the parades on TV. Come New Year's, you're going to have all the parades but it's interesting, what does a parade do? It highlights something, it magnifies something. And that's exactly what this scripture is doing. It's almost like a parade magnifying or raising Jesus. And she never raises herself. It's always about raising God and what God's done and about the Savior. And, and you know, that's exactly, she's, raised, she's praising Jesus through this entire thing. And I think through this theme, I think a couple things that we can find is first, we're gonna learn from Mary's humility. Mary was humble through this situation, you know, and, and there's a reason that she was chosen to carry the Savior of the world, and it wasn't because of pride, it wasn't because of stature, it wasn't because, you know, she wasn't this princess or queen or anything else. She was just a lonely girl from a small town, and God chose her to carry the Savior. You know, and, and unfortunately, there's many parts of Christianity that really overemphasize Mary. You know, they, they almost put Mary on the same level with Jesus. But even when you read what she says, she's saying, I'm not on that same level. She removes herself to know he needs to be praised. He needs to be magnified, not me. You know, and she considers herself lowly and she actually worships the Lord that she's carrying. And she actually says in verse 48, for he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. 
You know, it's an incredible language and just the posture from her heart and, and how she's focused on magnifying him. Which is, of course, the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? But isn't it a little over-commercialized nowadays? Yeah, it takes me back to Charlie Brown. You remember Charlie Brown? He had a problem with it being over-commercialized. Charlie Brown was, you know, was over-commercialized and he struggled with what the true meaning was. What is the true meaning of Christmas? And he's finally reminded that it's Christ, that Christ is the center of it. And it's not about stuff. And, and as nice as stuff can be, it's not about stuff. It's not even about tradition. As fun as tradition is, it's not about tradition. And, and they're nice, but ultimately they're meaningless because Christmas is about the person of Jesus. That's what it's about. But so many times we get caught up on tradition or over-commercialization and everything that else is going on when all we should be doing during Christmas is magnifying Jesus. I think second thing we learn is we, we see things from Mary's perspective. You know, this song that, that she writes has a lot of Old Testament scripture and alludes to a lot of Old Testament scripture. And it's actually very similar to Hannah's um, to Hannah's song that's in 1 Samuel 2. It's very similar in the way it's written and it's very similar in using a lot of um, Old Testament scripture. But the big difference is in Hannah, Hannah is looking and she's praising God and proclaiming triumph um, over her enemies through what God's going to do with her. And Mary's proclaiming salvation. She's proclaiming the salvation of God. She's talking about... Um, the promised Messiah coming. She's talking about her Savior. And she even predicts inside the scripture that the Savior will be welcomed by those who fear him in verse 50. That he will be welcomed. But then she also says he's going to be rejected by the proud, rejected by the powerful, and by the rich. And we know by reading through God's word, that's exactly what happened. He ended up being rejected. And Mary's perspective of God, even though, think about this, God's been silent for 400 years. Been silent for 400 years, and her perspective is he is faithful. Seeing the faithfulness of God even through his silence as she's writing this song, and she thanks him for choosing her. She also speaks of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. You know, so she's looking at everything that God's done. And everything that he's done. And it even includes God's mighty power. You know, when you take the time and you read through the scripture, you, you see it's not about Mary. It's not about her. It's not about anything except Jesus, the Messiah, who is coming. And she is being the person who happens to be bringing him into the world. You know, and you figure it's got to be comforting, especially for the Jews. You know, the Jews were under a lot of oppression from different sects within their own, within their own people, plus Roman, um, the Roman authorities. But even verses 51 and 52 uh, talk about controlling, you know, God's might and controlling human affairs. You know, and a lot of times I think we sit here and we, you know, well, pastor, that's really nice for her to be magnifying God. Man, God just said she's going to give birth to the Savior. 
Man, if God told me I was going to give birth to the Savior, I'd be mighty humble too. But he didn't do that with me. So, you know, I can understand why Mary's magnifying God, but pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. And I'm going through all this and you want me to magnify God? And, and, and how do I do that, pastor? How do I magnify God through all of this? And I think you got to understand that, yes, it is good news that she's getting, but it had to come with repercussions. It had to come with repercussions. Think of Mary's parents. When she had to walk in as a teenage girl, supposed to be marrying Joseph. Hey, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's not the dad. Imagine what her parents would have said. We know that Joseph was going to leave her until the angel came to Joseph in a dream. Joseph was going to leave her. Imagine what her parents said. Imagine what the people in town said. Because think about it. If we had a young girl in here get pregnant, and she said the Holy Spirit, I've been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be giving birth to the Messiah. And even though I'm engaged to be married, he's not the father. What are we going to say? And we're Christians. It ain't going to be pretty. It ain't going to be a nice conversation. And that's if our daughter came in. Imagine if our sons came in and said, I just got so-and-so pregnant. What? It ain't going to... So there's repercussions that come with it. So yes, you can sit here and say, well, you know, she's going to give birth to the Savior. She was a teenager. She was a teenager unwed. Now that may be very normal in today's culture, but it wasn't normal back then and it shouldn't be normal today. It still shouldn't be normal today, but unfortunately that's how it's become. So there's repercussions that came with it. And if you even think about it, when they took, went and got, did the baby dedication, they go to the baby dedication, they go to the, to the temple and the prophet Simeon whispers this in Mary's ear. Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The prophet whispers this in Mary's ear when they bring him to the temple. Do you think them words echoed in Mary's ears again 33 years later when she sat at the foot of that cross? It was a hard price to pay. There is a price to pay when we follow Jesus. There's a price to pay. And even Jesus himself tells us, if they persecuted me, they will certainly persecute you. And unfortunately here in the U.S., we don't understand that persecution because we don't see it. We see it on the news and how it happens around the world. And yeah, we may have some family members who may get a little upset with us, but we're not persecuted the way they were persecuted then. But even though it's worth the price, it is worth the price to follow Jesus in everything that we do. And there's nothing more fulfilling to be exactly in the center of the will of God. When you're doing what God's called you to do and you're right in his will, 
Man, life is easy, isn't it? Life is so easy. The problem is when we get over here and God wants us to be over here and we're standing right on that edge. Well, I'm still here, God. I'm still helping you. But one little slip and I'm out of the picture. That's pretty good too because I'm out of the picture. And just step right back in and I'm there. You know, but we get so caught up wanting to be on this edge instead of being in the middle where, where this is the center of God's will. This is where we should live our life. Don't live it on the edge. You know, living on the edge, don't. It's too easy to fall off. It's too easy to get sucked into what the culture and what the world and what everyone else wants. When you're in the full will of God, life is so much easier. There's blessing and there's peace that come from being here compared to living on the edge. And this is exactly what Mary was doing. She was living out the will of God right in the middle with everything going on, had peace and was magnifying God. Was magnifying him for who he was and for who he is and who he is still going to be. She continued to magnify him throughout it all. She even says, the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. And understand that should be our aim. Our aim should be to make Christ big and make ourselves smaller. Make ourselves small. And what that is, is that it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's more about thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Because too many times we think of ourselves first and foremost in everything we do. Think of yourself less in everything that you do. When we magnify Jesus in our life, we're taking that magnifying glass off of ourselves, off of our own problems, and we're putting it on him. We're making him the big thing that's in our life. Writer G.K. Chesterton once said this, angels can fly because they take, thing, they take themselves lightly. You see, Mary takes herself lightly because she magnifies the Lord at work in her life and her world. And because of that, God uses her in a mighty way because she took the focus off of herself and she took herself lightly. When's the last time you took yourself lightly? And it's something that we need to do. And that same God is ready to use us as we magnify him in our life. As we magnify him, we magnify his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy in our lives. And as we do that for him, he can then do more for us. God wants to use each one of us as part of his work. And Christmas is a wonderful time to do it. Christmas is a time when the carols are playing, everyone's focused on Jesus. You listen to the carols and they talk about Emmanuel. They talk about Jesus. They talk about him. They talk about glorifying the reason for the season. And that's what we should be doing. We should be lifting him high and making ourselves less. That's what we're called to do. Magnify him in everything you do. And for some of us, you may be sitting there and saying, you know, pastor, what? I don't know Jesus. How can I magnify someone I don't know? And man, pastor, I'm not ready. I'm kind of messed up and I don't have my life all together. Understand God's word says that we all 
that we're all sinners and every one of us falls short of the glory of God. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be right while you're here on earth. But the day of salvation is today. And God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the simple part. Taking that step and saying, you know, Lord, I accept you as my savior. Lord, I'm going to magnify you and I'm going to make myself less. And you take that step and you say, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to magnify him. And then you go outside them doors and the world hasn't changed. The world is still over commercializing Christmas and, and they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas and, and everything else. And you're going to stand here and say, but wait, he's my Lord. That's my Jesus. He is the reason for this season and you're going to seek to magnify him. And you're going to run into troubles in the world. But remember, he's got your back. So if you don't know Jesus and you've been on the fence, hey, well, uh, I'm kind of unsure and the Holy Spirit's been prompting you, make that move today. During this final song, you can come up front. I'll be standing off to the side and just come up and, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus. And we'll talk about it, say that sinner's prayer and welcome you to the family. Or maybe you're sitting here and you've been magnifying yourself instead of magnifying Jesus. You just need to come up front and leave it at the altar and ask him to open up your eyes to see that you will magnify him more than yourself, more than what's going on in your life, but that during this Christmas season, you will seek him with the whole heart and you will magnify him Think of yourself less and think of him more. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for, for your word. We thank you for the songs in your word, Lord. And, and as we go through this, that, Lord, we will truly seek to magnify you. That our focus and our eyes will be on you throughout this season, not on stuff not on the food, not on this, but Lord, on you. And most importantly, during this time of the year as we're magnifying you, Lord, that we will invite others to come into the house so that they can come to know you. Lord, we know this is time of the year when everyone's searching. May we be those laborers and may we plant those seeds and bring them into your house so that your name will be glorified and that you will be magnified through it all. We'll make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.